Nobody wants to feel like a charity case. This need for a separate demographic bank, that is something that I struggled with because I was thinking about like, why do we need something separate? It's because of this fundamental mistrust between a lot of the black community and the traditional financial services. A lot of repeat wrongdoing and also the fact that like, they're not really built to service that client. It's sort of fundamentally broken for them. When something is fundamentally broken, you can't just try to shove a round peg in a square hole, there is a real opportunity for making a, a separate platform that serves a lot of these challenges. Hi everyone, it's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from Fintech Today, where we talk about all things fintech. And in this episode, I am joined by the lovely Jillian Williams, an early stage investor at Cowboy Adventures, uh, to celebrate a very special holiday, a uh, newly minted holiday in the US, in fact, uh, Juneteenth, uh, which celebrates the emancipation of African-Americans that had been slaves in the United States. So that was obviously a huge step back in the day, but even today there's still so much more work that we can do and FinTech can and should be a really big part of that. So I'm excited to have Jillian on here to talk with us. In case you guys missed it, she had a really good piece that came out on Friday talking about more of what she's looking at in this space. So this is gonna go off of that a little bit as well. Jillian, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Julie. Excited to be here and happy to discuss everything. Yeah, so I, I loved your piece, how it really was, you know, broad in scope and everything. So I would I would love to just start off and talk about, you know, what are some things that you think there's still a lot of work to do in the financial system in this case. And I think especially, you know, white people like myself might not realize that all of this still needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it was interesting trying to write that piece because there is so much you can write about it in terms of like understanding even the history, because I think that's something that a lot of people don't know. I think a lot of people kind of understand redlining and, and a lot of the basics, but like don't understand how just like ingrained a lot of the challenges around financial access has been for the black community. And so trying to kind of discuss that and kind of give the backdrop as well as like what fintech can do um, was definitely a challenge in like 1500 words or less, um, but a good challenge. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I think the probably to not like start off on a depressing tone, but I think the saddest part about a lot of it is like as much as we think about how much technology has improved our lives in so many ways, the financial state for the average black American is actually getting worse, um, getting worse on a sort of just fundamental level, but also in a relative basis as well. Um, and the wage gap is getting and the wealth gap is getting worse. And so like just trying to think about how can we really improve this um, and what can we do? And I think there's so many angles that people can take. And I think that there have been so many companies that have been trying to address this, but unfortunately, there is still so much room. I think like there was one article that I was reading that talked about how the median income for black America um, in the next like five to 10 years is assumed to be zero. Uh, like that's like, that's kind of insane that we're going in the wrong direction. Um, and so kind of understanding why is it that this continues to happen and, and what can we really do to reverse that? Yeah. What are some things that you have realized are things that we can do? Because, you know, going back and looking at um, the backstory that you pointed out in the piece, 
Back in the in 1874, you talk about how there was this first bank, a bank that was formed to benefit black Americans. So it's not something new that's just with fintech, but it collapsed due to corruption. And then it, it feels like there's just like so many examples of things like that um, where, you know, there's been attempts in the past to try to help black Americans but they've all failed for one reason or another. Um, and I think it, it's probably largely just because they didn't get the support they needed. They weren't uh, thinking about things the right way. So, you know, looking at it now, what do we need to do to make sure that that doesn't happen again? And why do you think this is still an issue? What, like, why have these things failed? Yeah, I think it, it kind of comes from a number of ways. I think one of it is in terms of like nobody wants to feel like a charity case and so you, you don't want there to be a black bank just because oh like we want you to have this thing that's just for you because like because it's like a nice thing to happen um and, and i think that like that separate but equal type aspect doesn't feel feel good to people and i think this is something i wrote about but only kind of got like two sentences around in the article is like this need for a separate demographic bank. I, mean, I was previous at Anthemis and we invested into First Boulevard. And um, I really see this opportunity, but that is something that I struggled with because I was thinking about like, why do we need something separate? And I think to that point of like the corruption with the bank in the 1800s, is like, it's because of this fundamental mistrust between a lot of the black community and the traditional financial services. Um, and a lot of sort of repeat wrongdoing. And also the fact that like, they're not really built to service that client, that it's sort of fundamentally broken for them. So I, I think about it in the same way of like, why do you have like different clothing lines for different like sizes of people? So like for plus size clothing lines, or like, why do you have like different hair care from different styles of hair or something? Like, it's because like, the tr like one other type doesn't necessarily work. Like when something is fundamentally broken, and I know it's like a very pedantic way of putting it, but like when something is fundamentally broken for it, you can't just try to like shove a round peg in a square hole. Um, there is a real opportunity for making a, a separate platform that serves a lot of these challenges. And so I almost think that there's this way that we understand like what are some of the challenges and where do does this sort of like income gap and wealth gap come from and and how can we really focus on solving that and what does solving that look like and then how do we start from there and build up um, and so I think that's a huge focus that I think that a lot of the traditional institutions don't really care to do because they don't really have the incentive to do it. Uh, like their businesses work well enough today um, that why should they have to kind of rethink about who they're serving, how they service the right customers, um, how they market. I think that's a big thing. Like why should they advertise within different sets of communities or, or different uh, cities or different jurisdictions when they don't necessarily need those customers? Um, and so really rethinking the entire framework of like, what types of offerings do different populations need? Uh, like, for example, I, my family is from Jamaica. I have family members who are constantly sending money back to Jamaica. Um, they spend so much money in Western Union trying to send money um, back, to, mm -hmm. back to the home country. Like, things like that and being able to wire money efficiently and at a much cheaper cost, like, that is fundamental 
to a lot of people within the black community is sending money back home. And I think that's true of a lot of immigrants, but like, like even basic features like that, that aren't necessarily solved by a lot of the traditional institutions, I think can have a huge impact on just like the financial livelihood of, of consumers. So you mentioned First Boulevard, um, and there's other ones that you mentioned in your piece as well. What are they doing that's different and ensuring that they are truly attacking the problem um, in a way that also, you know, is attractive enough for a VC to invest in them? Yeah, absolutely. I think the main two um, within like the demographic bank, I think are First Boulevard and, and Greenwood Bank. And I think what's the interesting aspect of it is like, A, it's a large enough market. Um, like I'm just kind of giving you the framework of how I thought about it. B, a lot of black Americans are very um, reliant on debit. And so the usage and average usage of debit is a lot higher. Um, and so if we're just kind of basing it off of interchange revenue, which most sort of traditional neo banks or challenger banks are doing, um, relatively, you can make a little bit more money off of that because there isn't sort of that usage of credit cards as much. Um, but then also you can have a lot of these other sort of specific um, specific features such as like remittance type platforms and things like that um, that can add to add to revenue as well as as well as just be extremely valuable to consumer. And then I think there's sort of this one stop shop platform that you can use to build on top of it and really become sort of um, the holistic wealth um, go-to place for building wealth for the community. Because while there are so many um, solutions, whether it's um, Robinhood, Betterment, etc., um, for different types of wealth development, a lot of them, to the same point, like are underutilized um, for one reason or another within the black community. And so kind of having a place that is trusted by that community, a community where there is lack of trust, I think can make a huge impact. And you can really kind of own from end to end um, this consumer's relationship with money. And so I think that that can also become extremely interesting. And then, well, I think that like consumer banking and business banking is extremely different. Um, a majority of black businesses are sole proprietorships. And so I think there is a huge opportunity as well to think about how you can offer business banking, um, especially for sort of individual and self-employed businesses and like what that looks like. And I think that opens up a whole nother, um, a whole nother opportunity from a revenue and market sizing opportunity for a lot of these banks. Another one that you mentioned in here that I think is probably more of a familiar problem um, is that underwriting or lending to people can often be an issue. And there's companies that are attacking that. And I think when I think of issues in underwriting, I often think of, you know, immigrants or minorities, etc. So finding new ways to have data on these people that might not have a lot of credit history, um, you know, is super important. And there's companies attacking that too, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are quite a few because I mean, yeah, the the credit history piece is huge, and even that has a lot of bias behind it. Um, and the way that we build credit in this country has a lot of bias behind it. And so there are a number of companies. I think the ones I, I mentioned are like Perch and Clout um, that are thinking of sort of we have at this point a lot of recurring payments that people make. So whether it's like your utility bills, your rent, or even like your Hulu and Netflix, like we show that people are paying bills on time and 
shouldn't that be counted towards our, our credit worthiness? And so there are companies like that that are integrating into, um, into credit bureaus to be able to improve our credit scores. And then like Experian has a version of this called um, Experian Boost, where they, they try to connect to your bank account and do this themselves. And I think that those can have an impact. But the challenge is that oftentimes it's improving it by very few points. It's kind of incremental in, um, improvements, which if you're trying to buy a home or, or get access to real amounts of credit, um, that's not going to do that much. And it's going to take a very long time. So the amount of time that it takes for you to improve that score, is probably going to be years. And so, but you can be someone who actually like have, has never missed a payment. However, you're just kind of underserved by the traditional FICO score. And so that doesn't, it's not represented in your, in your score. And so kind of thinking about different underwriting models, such as cash flow underwriting um, and other forms of data can be extremely interesting. Uh, I think one that I think about quite a bit, and I mentioned this in the article, is just, it's like a combination of access and underwriting. Um, there's been a few companies that are doing this for healthcare, but I really think you can do this almost for any type of loan where if you connect into your employer, you know that someone, A, they already have a job, they already have steady income, you can understand their tenure, their likely, you can basically understand their likelihood of continuing to have that job and underwrite them based off of that and give them a lot cheaper of a loan um, in direct access to capital where it's from a trusted source from their point of view, uh, while also making it so that it can get paid off sort of via payroll. So that risk of repayment is so much lower, so the cost can be so much lower. Because right now, a lot of this community relies more so on sort of payday lenders and really onerous, uh, onerous APRs. So you are someone that has a very good job. You live in New York City, uh, went to a good school. Do you have any stories of times where you felt that just because you were a black female in America that you weren't served well by the financial system, even though everything else about you checks the box? It's interesting. I think that it's probably a little bit more one removed. I definitely had family members who like, I'm helping a family member get a mortgage right now. And, and dealing with that um, has been very, very, very difficult. Um, and even kind of understanding their credit scoring and sort of the credit score that the mortgage company is seeing versus like the HOA is seeing is very different. And so I've been kind of playing the intermediary for that. Um, and Kind of seeing how that has played out um, is is something that is still remarkable to me, and it's especially kind of as I was dealing with this, as I was writing this article, it was just a reminder of the real hurdles that still exist to home ownership um, to this day, uh, and how much, especially immigrants broadly, but even in the black community, really think about this as like the American dream and their gateway to, gateway to wealth and how there's still so many barriers and hurdles to getting to that. Um, and so I think that's been, that's been really eye-opening and a challenge for me recently. Um, but I think personally, it's been interesting because I think like I've definitely faced some of the challenges of not having enough credit before. Like I graduated um, from college, was going into investment banking and like could not get a credit card to save my life. Um, <laughs> I don't think that had anything to do with my race, but like 
it, I was applying for like every single type of like secured card at that point. And that was like the first card I could get when it was like, this, this makes no sense. Like I, I'm getting paid well. Um, I have no issues on my record. Um, and so I think that's been a, a real challenge. And, and that kind of goes again back to sort of the underwriting and how we think about that. Um, but again, to your point, sort of like I live in New York City. I live in, in West Village where I live in an area where most people around me are, are not part of the black uh, population. So um, there are a lot of banks around me, but we do not live in a banking desert. Um, and so I just think even sort of that form of geographical location, like living in West Village of Manhattan versus living in Harlem uh, or living in Queens can have extremely different impacts on you financially as well. What are some things, you've touched on a number of these already, but I want to make sure that, you know, we make our audience aware of all of them is like me as a white person, what are some things that I might not even realize are going on that, you know, I'm just taking for granted being a white person in America when it comes to the financial system? Yeah, I think there, I think there's a number of them. And like, obviously there are quite a few that are historical, but I mean, I think even as we think about, um, a lot, a lot of it has to do with politics, I'd say. Um, if we think about, and I think I, I mentioned this within the article a little bit, like the Affordable Care Act and health insurance. I think that is a, a really big one, especially when it comes to, I mean, I, I'm not going to touch on the healthcare side. I mean, the, yeah, the healthcare side, but the insurance side in general. Like the way that uh, the Affordable Care Act has been rolled out has partially had a huge impact on the black community because a lot of the states where it's been held up the most have been where there's been predominantly black communities. And so if you think about where healthcare costs can be some of the biggest financial shocks to someone's system, and these people are being unable to access what is supposed to be like our, our national right to healthcare, um, that's where, again, you see these challenges where like access can become a huge issue. And it's something that on the face of it might not seem like it is completely driven by race. However, there are definitely a lot of sort of undertones uh, and rationale for why things like that are, are being driven out. And so I think there's a lot of things that are kind of connect, interconnected in ways like that. And then I think even like there are issues with like a lot of Wells Fargo and just a lot of their practices that all came out last year and how they're treating their customers. Wells Fargo is like one of the biggest consumer banks for black people. So if we think about it in that way, a lot of the additional fees that they were charging customers without them even knowing were inadvertently hurting black consumers much more than white consumers or, or any other race. And so I think there's just a lot of predatory practices um, that many, whether it's politicians or, or, or businesses can take advantage of um, that, again, on the face of it, might not necessarily be clearly or overtly driven by race, um, but that probably you can get away with a little bit more because of the demographic of who you're targeting. We've gotten to what you hope ends up happening in this system. If we were to have the same conversation even just a year from now, do you think we're going to be seeing any noticeable progress or do you think it's going to take longer than that? I think it will take longer. Um, I, like to, I like to be an optimist. I try to be. Um, and so I really hope that 
it we can kind of move in that right direction. And I think that the start of the conversation is always sort of the first move that we need to make to move in that right direction. And so I do hope that as especially as, as last year kind of ignited a lot of conversation around like the police brutality, we continue to understand some of the other systemic uh, challenges that are faced within the black community and understand what drives them and how those can be solved. And so I, I do hope that given uh, obviously sort of finances are such a huge proponent of life that we can kind of continue to have these conversations and figure out ways that we can improve that sooner rather than later. But I don't necessarily, like this has been a problem for centuries. Um, I don't necessarily think it's going to be improved in a year, but I hope that we can at least continue to make steps that are moving towards improving them. That is all we have time for today. Obviously, this is a discussion that could continue going. And if people want to dive even deeper into this, check out Jillian's piece on our website, fintechtoday.co. It is not paywalled. That is open to everyone, unlike some of the um, more analysis pieces. Uh, Otherwise, go and rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you are listening to this. And you can also find Jillian on Twitter. Jillian, what's your Twitter handle? It is Jill Will NYC. There you go. Jill Will NYC. If you want to chat with her more about this space or have other thoughts on how fintech in particular can help the black community in America. Otherwise, thank you, Jillian. It was a pleasure having you on today. Perfect. Thanks, Jillian. It was great being here.